I have this documentary I want you guys to listen to. And it's about four professors. They were talking on C-SPAN. And they was talking about social engineering and political warfare. Something that the Republican Party been doing to black America and Spanish America for years. Uh, for example, Lyndon Johnson, like I said in one of my podcasts, signs the Voting Rights Act. Richard Nixon got rid of the war on poverty and started the war on drugs. Um, Ford didn't do a goddamn thing. Um, you had the FBI actually putting dope on the streets of America, just like you had the CIA putting crack on the streets of America in the 80s. CIA did that shit in the 60s to fight the Black Panthers. So they demonized the Black Panthers and and killed a lot of their leaders and chased a lot of people out of the country and put a lot of people in jail. Um, Ronald Reagan, he was the governor of California and California cops are just as racist and still beating the shit out of black people back then and killing black people. Somebody need to look at the Black Panther documentary. Um, Where I'm going with this, it's always been political warfare, but socially engineering what they want through political warfare. That means um, the Republican Party used to be the old Democratic Dixie Party before they came around became conservatives. They always had this belief that minorities are beneath them. When Lyndon Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act in 1964-65, first thing Southern white man did was switch parties. They didn't want to be part of a party with black people. They didn't want black people going to their schools. They didn't want them going to the hospital. They wanted segregation. That's what Goldwater ran on. Matter of fact, next time when people talk about CPAC, won't you tell the truth about CPAC? It's nothing but the old Goldwater racist party. So, Richard Nixon gets in, goes to China, take our jobs to China 40 years later. Um, Richard Nixon, he gets impeached, Ford gets in. Ford doesn't give a damn. The same people who was around Ford at the time, Dick Cheney and all the rest of those cronies, they um, fucked up the country. Carter gets in, deal with the fuck up. Reagan comes in. By that time, everybody's focusing on what's going on in the Middle East. Reagan gave tax cut, ran on welfare moms in Cadillacs. i never forget that. And um, at the time when you're young, you don't really focus on how racist America is because basically that was the 70s and we was actually integrating. After all of the dope pushing and all of the putting the dope on the streets and killing the Black Panthers off, people was discoing. You know, Saturday Night Fever was an Italian hit, and I loved the Saturday Night Fever. And we thought that was cool. Everybody's coming together, one big American pie. You know? In the 80s, Ronald Reagan gets in. First thing Ronald Reagan does, instead of helping, he start cutting programs. 
created rap, by the way, from that shit. But other than that, it created the programs, right? Of all types of fucked up programs. I mean, he created shit that, like, let's just fuck up black America. Those kind of programs. <laughs> or Northquists and all of them. But it was fighting Central America at the same time. They went down there to fight communism because America has to have an enemy. It's funny how their enemy now, America's partner in crime. But before then, they was fighting amongst each other before the war fell. And down there in Central America, every every democracy who wanted freedom and the copy of the United States, the United States were fucked with because all they wanted to do was exploit their resources. So, you know, the poor people down there rose up. What did they do? Ronald Reagan funded a guerrilla war. But they didn't need the money from, they couldn't use the money from Senate. They couldn't get it from the the senator and and, and and the house. So what they do? They went down there and buy some cocaine and put it on the streets of Los Angeles, New York City, Miami. Every cocaine was cheap. Hired the Medellins and all the other cartels down there, made them rich. Act like they was fighting the war on drugs, but they were you know, they really weren't. But the violence got real bad. But they never let a lot of Hispanics into this country. But yeah, he did have a lot of Cubans. But remember, this, this Cuban story goes back to the Spanish and Cuban, you know, war. I mean, Spanish-American war, excuse me. And what happened, you know, Roosevelt, he didn't like Cuba, but then they brought that racism from America to Cuba. And matter of fact, went to Europe and brought some Cubans, I mean, some Europeans, Spanish and whatever, to Cuba. That's what they always do, colonize every fucking thing, huh? But they brought that racism. But when the Cuba, when Castro rose up, the first thing the United States did was demonize Castro, right? Castro came to Harlem, demonized him, didn't want to talk to him, you know? Even had Kennedy showing his racism by freaking trying to set up the Bay of Pigs. Then the Russians came and helped. They had a standoff. Almost started World War Three, But they went still fighting a political you know war he kept it cold they call it well that works both ways that was a little history cold's way <clears throat> but I met you know I'm listening to C-SPAN and um and I heard the professions talking about you know social engineering and political warfare and what's going on today with the gentleman dying and the lady dying and another gentleman running and dying and the blacks dying and dying and dying in America and people uprising again. But what gets me was I'm listening to this bullshit that's coming out of this government because Trump can care less about black people, black lives. Don't matter to him, you know? Just gonna, and everybody knows it, but CNN and, and, and these news organizations just to cover the airtime, they will put dog shit on TV. So Trump tells the world, hey, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to watch somebody play with some rockets. And, um, 
if any of my supporters out there, hey, come hang out around the White House because the protesters here. You know, it's like trying to start a conflict, you know, showing that he don't give a shit, but he's tough. Then he shouts out some unsincere, oh, my condolences goes out to the third grade family. Like, yo, dude, shut the fuck up. You don't even know what the fuck he's talking about, you know? Oh, but you know, there was good people on that side. And then he throws out, Cantifa, Cantifa. Like, you know, like, where where are they going with this? Well, up in, um, up in, um, Minneapolis. Outside agitators coming in, start burning down the communities and stores. Find out it's white nationalists. With Fox News and Donald Trump and the sorry ass attorney general that nobody should ever fucking take, take his, whatever come out of his mouth is bullshit. So he's going to spin some stuff. He's going to spin it. He's going to spin it like, uh, well, there's outside, he's, wants to get calm and then there's outside agitators and he's going to say Nordic and then there was a lot of far 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 left people right there if you really listen if you don't catch him because he's a slick little fucker you find out that they're pushing that Latifa thing but they're not talking about white nationalism the reason why they're not talking about white nationalism is because the Russians know who the Republican Party really is And I think it's time for us to stop playing games and call them out. Fox News, Newsmax, Sinclair Broadcasting, you know, their right-wing paper, Steve Bannon bullshit, you know, all connected to this Brexit shit, to Trump campaign, to Project Alamo. And next thing you know, and then you notice all of that stuff disappear. Michael Flynn, all of a sudden we know he was guilty on Obama. All of a sudden they're making all types of excuses to get this guy off. Roger Stone, take his little evil ass back down to Florida, hides out. They're getting their boys off. It's all connected. Back over there. Remember when Putin um, annexed Crimea? Nobody know why. Obama trying to show faith and say, hey, democracy. But they forgot. It was Nazis. Okay? Fucking Nazis. So where the story's going? If you want a social engineer or you want to play political warfare, you team up with your, you know, Nazis get a team up with separatists here in America, mostly conservatives. Because they got their talking points, man. They really do. They have their bullshit sold up. Charles and, well, one David's gone, but Charles fun shit. Um, then you got all these other fuckers getting what they want, you know. Uh, Israel got what the fuck his want, you know. They got the Jordan Valley, it's got the fucking embassy moved to Jerusalem. They getting everything set up for this new world order that they believe in. But meanwhile, the United States and Russia still playing political warfare. And the Republican Party it's playing political warfare with minorities. <sighs> That's how Richard Nixon, go back to him, got rid of the war on poverty. He took out jobs to China. And China sees what the United States is doing. 
A country cannot stand if it's too busy fighting itself, okay? And what's happening with the Republican Party, we're still fighting this culture war. That means they believe a certain way and they think they should have everything go to them and everyone else beneath this certain class of Caucasians. Mostly Nordic thinking, in a way. So, long story short, William Barr going to do a little press conference, gets up there, shoot out some bullshit about looting and far-left people. And, but what I'm saying is we cannot trust this. Anything this administration say, you have to look at twice, three times. This is the guy that's covering up the Mueller's report. So, with that said, listen to this bullshit. And then we come... Accountability for his death must be addressed and is being addressed through the regular process of our criminal justice system, both at the state and at the federal level. That system is working and moving at exceptional speed. Already initial charges have been filed by the state. That process continues to move forward and justice will be served. Unfortunately, with the rioting that is occurring in many of our cities around the country, the voices of peaceful protest are being hijacked by violent radical elements. Groups of outside radicals and agitators are exploiting the situation to pursue their own separate and violent agenda. In many places, it appears the violence is planned, organized, and driven by anarchic and left extremist groups. Okay. Reason I stopped that, he said Nartic. And then he made sure he got left, leftist extremist groups. See how slick that bastard is? The Nartic. What is the fuck is the Nartic? No explain, because it flies over your fucking head. Well, I'm going to break it down to you. When you're dealing with white nationalists running our government, Think about Stephen Miller and the rest of the motherfuckers on Fox and all their propaganda machines. They can set slowly and place in this country like chess. You're playing chess. They got the United States in checkmate. We, you know, now up in Minneapolis, the people are protesting this gentleman being killed by a cop. Like, you know, some people care more for animals. They would have had more outrage if it was a fucking dog being strangled. But other than that, let's leave it alone. Let's not go there. This fucking shit is ridiculous because his boss just saying, hey, you know, when they start looting, start shooting. I think he might change that because he's finding out there's a lot of white nationalists out there disguising themselves as what? Left, left wing activists. So they imitation, I call them. But they're really white nationalists. So how can a white nationalist tell their white nationalists out there in the crowd of people oh we're gonna get you but you guys got you know cause look if you far left and you feel that white nationalists had taken over well don't you think they wouldn't you know show themselves a little bit more
speak out more? Would the media would actually not just take William Barr's word and go find those far, far left people and talk to them and ask them why they burning shit down instead of taking William Barr word for it? Oh, you know what I'm saying? You, you find where I'm coming from, right? Because this media bullshit is you throw out Latifa, far, far left. Instead of investigating it, CNN, MSNBC, run it. You know why? Because the violence is what draws the media. Even though some of their journalists got popped with rubber bullets and arrested, they still narrated around the mick the brick and mortar. Oh, God, that store, this neighborhood, all people coming together and cleaning up their community. Why the fuck didn't we come together before all of this happened? It's going to take, you know, some nuts to come in and fuck up everything. You know, when you want a culture war, you have to divide the country. Um... There's another documentary that a lot of people haven't been seeing was on Netflix and because it's the great, the great break, the great hack, I think it is. And um, I'm talking to this girl named Kaiser, a super nerd, goofy, very fucking smart. And she worked on the Trump, um, the Trump campaign, but she was... 15, she worked on Obama's. And it's funny because when you listen to this, this guy's running around looking for his data. Because the data points, and then they, you know, the guy who owned Facebook, his fucking t-shirt, sandal wearing ass, he don't give a fuck. He's a fucked up kind of guy too. You know, he might act like he's a liberal, but he's really a fucking weird dude. Um, too much money. But as this guy running around looking for his data, um, you know, finding out that there was informational warfare. Real journalists stayed away from it. They got threatened. This one, she stayed on it, but she got threatened. So Steve Bannon pops up. There's some rich Brits over there who's really made a lot of money. And they wanted a Brexit. And then they want the Brexit. Then they get the Brexit. But before they did all of this fucking shit, they used information, misinformation, warfare in the Middle East under Bush. SCL. Cambridge Analytica. Data analyzing is a fucking weapon. Informational warfare. Misinformation. They've been doing that shit ever since there was wars. But now in the digital age, I can fucking target you with certain ads and your ass start believing it. That's what Fox News does. But they quick to say the shit's only on Facebook and Twitter. They forget about it. Newsmax, um, um, Ross Limbaugh, Hannity, Tucker Carlson, that ugly bitch Laura Ingrams, that fucked up drunk judge... You know, I can go on and on and on. That whole fucking network. That whole connection with right wing. Why would you create a propaganda machine that powerful? And that's much influence. William Barr. He's a lawyer. Right wing Nazi. 
He's not working for Donald Trump. They're protecting Donald Trump because they were sent there to protect that racist bastard because the racist got to protect the racist. Mitch O'Connell, all of them boys got that Southern indocumentary into bigotry from the, what? The Daughters of the Confederacy. Now the Daughters of the Confederacy offspring runs into Hitler's offspring. And now what the fuck we got? A fucked up democracy. And you know what Russia doing? Fueling the fire. It's in Brazil. <laughs> Nazis. It's in, it's in America. United States down there trying to de- destabilize Venezuela. I mean, you know how we're doing, you know, the United States government under Donald Trump is down there trying to destabilize Venezuela democracy and our own democracy being destabilized. That's what I'm just telling you right now. Pay attention. Pay attention. Um... That's all I can say. Just pay attention. Because if you don't, they can fuck with your mind and you believe anything. What's possible is not possible. (laughs) What's impossible is possible. They have you hating your own self. They really don't care about these black lives. They're sending their troops to blend in, infiltrate protesters, to tear our community apart. Think about it. Charlottesville was no accident. It was no accident. back to the cold comedy show. It's a lot of disturbance going on in America today with um, with the um, killing out there in Minneapolis. And the prosecutors seem like they're trying to make all types of excuses not to prosecute those cops. But that's typical in America because they're playing from the playbook of white supremacy. Well, since they want to get Michael Flynn off and all those cronies uh, that Trump knows who got help from the Russians and other right-wing peoples like Roger, you know, Roger Stone, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, all these traitors amongst us. Um, The Russians know how to play us, so does China, so anybody else, because they know America have a deep wound called racism. And if you can exploit that racism, you can destroy a country because a country divided will never stand. And with the white supremacy and the Republican Party showing its ugly face, of course, you know, by the, you know, we already know who they are now. And you'd be a fool to, you know, to try to say it's not about race. It is. It's about economic power and race. For some reason, these old white men with all this money and power still feel that minorities is a threat to their way of life. And they got everything. Unbelievable. I call that mental abuse. But anyway... We know what's going on, and we know who helped Donald Trump. But the Russians also know that 
we have white nationalists right here in the United States and in Europe trying to destroy our democracy. That's why Putin was willing to help Le Pen. Le Pen, the Brexit, Donald Trump, the asshole in Brazil, any other nut case that I can't think of right off the top of my head. Putin was, you know, the president, I call him Pooty Boy. That, you know, those KGB was doing their thing. Can't fault the Russians. Hey, they just know how to stir up the heat where the fire's already started. Now, check this out. I'm listening to um, a documentary. Um, matter of fact, it's not a documentary. It's a, um, it's a conference call. <clears throat> and it's about what's really going on in America. The real shit that's going on in America and around the world. So, I'm going to let you guys listen to this. I'm going to come back on the other side. And I'm going to have my, you know, talk. And if you guys think I'm wrong, you can always fucking uh, message me. Okay? So, let's find out what's Sometimes going on. Sometimes we... I, I've always felt that if we handled this with confidence, with our allies and partners... We can overcome this because it's simply the, the weaknesses that we are offering is what the Russians are amplifying. If we uh, heal our cleavages, they'll have a lot less to amplify. So we can talk about Russian tactics and tools until we're blue in the face. But what it comes down to is making sure that we are healing the divisions within our society and that we then can turn with a projection of, of, of a positive agenda and confidence what the Russians fear the most is our democracy working in Russia. Um, and so, again, to return back to that positive spirit. So we can't give them too much credit. We have to focus on healing the divisions. Um, and the problem is, and I think this is for me more in the U.S. context, and there's, there's obviously quite a bit of division within Europe as well, is that exactly as, as Thomas said, it's very hard to right now detect where we stop and where the Russians begin. We are delegitimizing our own election today. Elected leaders are saying daily that this election is going to be rigged. I mean, you don't need to have a, a foreign actor um, uh, help you anymore because you're already delegitimizing your own democracy. You're delegitimizing your leaders and in your institutions when you cripple uh, the judicial system and law enforcement or you delegitimize them. You've already, you've done so much damage that the Russians can certainly amplify that and they and they are they're using far-right extremism con conspiracy groups to do that today but we're already working quite well in that path so it's very hard in, in some ways for me to overjudge the russians when i believe a lot of the healing and the work that has to be done is within um, uh, our own society within european societies to heal some of these long-standing divisions Thanks, Heather. Uh, Thomas, if I can come back briefly uh, to uh, Denver, Operation Denver, um, in part because some have argued that there are interesting parallels, there are also huge differences, with what we've seen coming out of Tehran, uh, Beijing, Moscow, and even Washington about the origins of uh, COVID-19. Some have argued that it was uh, manufactured in U.S. laboratories. The U.S. has actually done the same with China, uh, that it was potentially manufactured in Chinese laboratories. So from your perspective, how is this similar or different from, similar camp from, from other campaigns we've seen historically? 
Yeah, I mean, a pandemic and AIDS was a pandemic in the early 80s as well, early mid 80s, um, is of course the best raw material that you can wish for, for uh, disinformation and active measures. Why? Because people are genuinely scared. There's a lot of uncertainty and political divisions will open up around how to react to the pandemic. So that's all you need to run a, run an, run an operation um, and to, to exploit it. But here in this case, I would just um, want to let a little bit of time pass. You know, when I wrote my book, uh, uh, and the book is very ambitious, it goes from the throughout the entire Cold War up to 2016. And as we transition from uh, into the 1990s, and when the intelligence archives essentially close, I have no longer, um, almost no documentation after 1990, uh, other than output of operations, digital forensics, for example. You can see the fog rise. You can see how it becomes much harder to um, to really come to high confidence conclusions about objectives, about success, etc. So I, I think it's important to just be clear today that what we see, of course, is officials make statements, but we don't have visibility into their into why they do it, into their own rationale. And of course, we don't have visibility into the covert and semi-covert operations that are happening at the same time. Thanks. Uh, Thomas, I think it would be helpful for folks listening to also um, uh, get a broader perspective of um, how this has been done historically. Can you talk a little bit about some Cold War cases? Uh, in your book, you walk through a number of them, uh, yeah. swastikas in Germany, racial engineering, the World Peace Council, um, and then, and, 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 and what are the similarities and differences to today? Yeah, so let's talk about the uh, uh, 1959, 1960 um, anti-Semitic campaign that KGB put on in West Germany and in fact around the world. It started at the newly reopened Great Syn uh, uh, Synagogue in Cologne that had just been reopened by Adenauer in September 59 and then in on Christmas 59, swastikas and Jews out was daubed on the entrance of the synagogue. And uh, of course, a firestorm broke out in Germany in terms of the media coverage. Within, within a short amount of time, we saw nearly around 900 anti-Semitic incidents within the space of just a few weeks in Germany and in the near abroad, in around like in France and in the UK, but also in the United States in 15 different cities, including in New York and Manhattan and on Long Island. But um, the, the the media coverage of the case was you know, intense. Germany was seen as regressing into, into the dark uh, times that many people thought would be behind Germany into anti-Semitism, Holocaust. And the operation, and we have very good evidence for this today, is um, was, a, was, a, was an active measure, it was a provocation on the part of KGB to exploit the simmering trauma that Germany was trying to get out of. And, you know, when I talk about this operation today, there will be, an, uh, you know, I am German myself, um, there will be Germans who say, wait a minute, you're saying that we needed, that Germany needed Russian help or KGB help to um, to commit anti-Semitic acts in the 1950s? You, are you kidding? And of course, that's exactly the point of active measures. 
they take something that is existing and then amplify it. So this campaign is the perfect example. KGB very quickly was, and obviously there's a degree of speculation when I say this, but I'm confident, um, KGB was quickly not in a position anymore to distinguish the fake anti-Semitic acts from the real anti-Semitic acts that it provoked. We know this because even in East Berlin, there were anti-Semitic incidents that essentially creeped across the wall, which of course was completely against their own interests. But it's but it's a fascinating. This is why active measures are called active measures. They are active and they will actively shape reality. Um, so that is, I think, one of the most uh, extraordinary examples that we that we see. I also want to highlight one point that I think often gets lost, and that is around the time of that operation in the early 60s to late 60s, throughout, throughout the 60s, we see a de-escalation in the West. We see CIA pulling out of the political warfare. That's how they call it, called it internally, political warfare game. So fewer forgeries, um, not, no more aggressive front organizations in Berlin, for example, which was a thing in the 50s. And we see an escalation in the Soviet bloc, the opposite trend. Um, so that is a really important important um, observation. We, are, we, we have no moral equivalency here. To put it bluntly, um, you can't be, um, you can't be, you can't excel at democracy and disinformation at the same time. Good point. Uh, Heather, which leads me to a, a broad question uh, for you is as we look um, towards the future, this this comes out of one of the questions um, that that uh, one of our viewers has asked. Uh, do we see evidence of close U.S. EU cooperation to fight disinformation? And there's a there's clearly there's an underlying issue there, which is uh, there also is a substantial disagreement between many European countries and the U.S. But there's a broader issue when we look at at Hungary, for example. Um, so how do you how do you see U.S. EU collaboration, both positive developments, but also huge challenges? So it's uh, it's where the U.S. and EU should be cooperating the, the most closely. And in many ways, for Russian disinformation, Europe has been a laboratory for uh, for decades. And I think in some ways, what caught us so by surprise in 2016, I don't think we had the audacity to think that the Russians would be so audacious in bringing many of those tactics and techniques uh, to the US, quite frankly. And, and I agree with you, what surprises us sometimes creates an, an overreaction. But this is exactly where we need to be together, intelligence services working together, but really political leaders uh, ensuring that there is a strong sense of transparency and trust, uh, trust of, of institutions and leaders, but trans transparency into what government is doing. Uh, as Thomas said, I mean, most of this disinformation is pulling uh, into those threads uh, that have that already uh, exist. So there's there should be a huge area of collaboration. I think there are good government to government linkages, but really at the highest level, um, there is not the, the level that I think we should be, uh, you know, thinking about. The future, uh, and this is what is, and, and the example of Hungary is, is quite perfect, and that is where ongoing disinformation campaigns, or I would say 
um, influence activities which pull uh, governments or leaders um, towards their benefactors. So in Hungary, a close relationship between Prime Minister Orban and President Putin uh, and Xi Jinping as well, um, allows in some ways those governments to then work against when the European Union means unanimity of all 27 of its members to have a statement that may be critical of Beijing or that may uh, take additional efforts to perhaps block Russian activities. If a member state or two have already been compromised, they're not going to allow uh, that policy to move forward, which breaks, again, the internal coherence of the European Union when you have one or two members uh, for their own national interests have made the decision to go against it. So it makes it uh, extremely difficult. And when one starts following, then you see others moving uh, in, in similar directions uh, and a precedent is set. And that's my other fear that Hungary in some ways was just an early adopter of potentially trends that other EU members, uh, smaller ones in particular, may gravitate towards. So I think it's, it's an enormous, uh, an enormous challenge. Uh, Thomas, one of the questions from one of the viewers uh, gets back to a question I asked earlier. We didn't, we didn't end up getting to it, but let me re-ask it. Uh, is what are the tools that governments use uh, and the mediums that they use. Uh, you've pointed out in the past, not just social media, but it can also include uh, offensive cyber operations, hacking, and then leaking that information. So, so how do you see uh, options available to states? Yeah, the tool set, the active measure tool set is, uh, is a very large box with a, a lot of different tools in it. Um, hack, leaking, files is is historically one of the um, most effective tools because um, as soon as you have information that is somebody's trying to hide um, could be correspondence or secret top secret information that of course has high news value so what we often see historically and this is, we see that even play out in Ukraine in 2014 there are many instances of leaks that contain forgeries not just forgeries about who, where the leak comes from, but actual content forgeries. So that is something that I think we should absolutely expect in the future. Don't think leaks are clean and pure material that can just be reported, uh, be, be used for uh, news coverage. They are likely to contain some form of forgery, which means you can't just fact check you know, one thing and then conclude that the rest is correct. You have to fact check every single detail that you will, that journalists, for example, will write about based on a leaked information. Uh, another tool in the, in the active measures tool set beyond leaking and forging is, of course, front organizations. We see that we see sometimes front organizations existing for a very long time, more than a decade, evolving sometimes in, out in the in the sort of semi open. Um, Sometimes there are rumors going around. That was the case for some American front organizations in Berlin that it could be linked to CIA, but that doesn't stop the um, the front organization. So front organization could be publishing houses, magazines, could be activist groups. Um, and of would course, you, would you include uh, Thomas? Would you include like the World Peace Council as a front organization, for example? Yeah, yeah. The World, World Peace Council is one of the better known ones. Um, 
but uh, I have several that I discuss in the book um, with a lot of archival evidence. So there was one particularly impressive one that was run by CIA in the 1950s known as PR Office Kramer, uh, cryptonym was LC Cassock. That one is just fascinating because we have the full set of project files. So we can talk about it with a lot of detail and how we can tell the story of how CIA controlled it and evolved it and lost control ultimately. Um, but I just briefly wanted to mention uh, not just front organizations, but this culture of anonymity that the internet unleashed in the early 2000s. Literally the anonymous movement with the Guy Fox masks um, was really a dream come true for active measures for disinformation operators because you could suddenly hide false or ac accurate leaked information uh, behind a the virtual facade of an anonymous activist group. This is almost a mix of a front organization and and a new form of, of you know internet culture. So we see that weird convergence of internet culture and active measures in, in that, after 2013. Good. Uh, so I am rolling through some of the viewer questions now. Uh, this one, Heather, I'm going to uh, direct to you, which is um, how significant is disinformation during this COVID-19 in terms of political gains, including the re-election of officials? But obviously, this is, a, this is relevant in the U.S. as much as it is in other countries. Well, I would I would say quite frankly, not disinformation, but performance, uh, government performance is probably the biggest uh, uh, game changer. Quite frankly, in terms of, of political uh, gains, um, the disinformation dynamic. I think that for me, this comes back to sort of trust and credibility, um, and and you see a, a wide range of political responses. Um, to how they're dealing with, uh, again, trust, transparency, credibility, um, whether science is involved in this. Uh, some political figures have uh, used uh, science to, to shape their, their views and their statements and the information they're sharing. Others have not. Some have hidden behind it. Some have gotten out in front of it. Um, so I think, quite frankly, the disinformation certainly is an element of it. I would say geopolitically, though, this is where I would I would put it into the scapegoating uh, area era. What we're seeing is some political leaders, because uh, they've been challenged by their response, it is now time to scapegoat. And this gets into the ecosystem, quite frankly, of the far uh, extremist conspiracy laden voices. So the, the attacks you're seeing again. The personalities, the Bill Gates, even the George Soros. There's some anti-Semitic tropes that are coming through that. It's it's blaming blaming the other for lack of a response. Uh, that to me is a is a growing sense of disinformation that um, I think uh, citizens will have to weigh when it comes time to uh, hold the election. I would just say, Seth, one other comment uh, to Thomas's note. What I think in the future, what we're going to see is this is going to become, particularly in the Russian case, certainly less Russian and much more organic to the voices. And this is where I think the evolution of tactics of Russian disinformation 
in 2016, it was, we could see the Russian, they were paying in rubles. Uh, now we're seeing where specific campaigns, the infiltration of private chat rooms and things like that, they're now becoming much more organic to the voice of their own societies, which I think is, it certainly enhances the effort because they know those, the, those, the issues that will exacerbate existing societal tensions. So this is going to get harder to combat as we go, particularly in the U.S. and, and others where First Amendment and speech protection is so important. The lines are so blurred from that, which is amplified by Russia and juiced up by Russian on both sides, but which is organically either an American organization or a European organization that believes in these in these theories. Heather, just a just a uh, follow up for you. Uh, the and this comes from one of the questions that somebody asked. Can can you just talk very briefly to the degree that we understand it? Um, what organizations in Russia, like the GRU, for example, are involved, and what are the tactics uh, that they're using, and how do we educate people? Uh, in the U.S. along those lines? Uh, so this is coming from one of our viewers. Oh, tough, multi-layered questions. Um, again, I think you're seeing, again, this is where in some ways the Mueller report and other uh, investigations from the 2016 election affairs, we do have a sense of knowing that particularly the, the cyber units within the GRU that are responsible for some of the, uh, the hacking, the, the forgery of documents, you know, the Internet Research Agency and other amplifiers uh, of, of messages. So I think we know where they're coming from, but it comes back to the education of the citizen. Uh, and uh, having greater literacy uh, efforts, particularly when it comes to detecting when you sense information and you're getting something from a friend and you're not sure it's right, how do you fact check it? Where are sources of information? And, and that needs to be happening, quite frankly, in the grade school level. Children need to be taught this. Adults need to, to be uh, kept abreast. We need public service announcements that help people be able to discern uh, disinformation, know it, recognize it, um, be able to combat it. Um, these are the types of efforts, I think, uh, an educated uh, population, uh, knowing the tactics and the tools, but again, it gets back to exploiting the weaknesses. A deeply divided and polarized society just gives so much opportunity to, to you know, amplify and accentuate those divisions. Healing the divisions and making more alert of foreign actors trying to exacerbate those uh, divisions will go a long way, but uh, just a more bipartisan, more community unified effort, uh, I think would be extremely helpful. And listening to people that you you respect, not necessarily at the, the top levels of government, but your church Like leaders. the two of you, for example. Oh, community leaders, people that you trust, listening to them. No reason to go that far, so. Um, but can I jump in real quick yeah. uh, here as well? You know, we, I'm going to provoke a few viewers here. I think a lot of Americans today think that the Russian election interference of 2016 resulted in Donald Trump becoming president. Um, essentially that the Russians installed Donald Trump through their sophisticated or helped installing uh, Donald Trump through their sophisticated election interference. That is the evidence that we have does not back up that conclusion. In fact, we, it's an unknowable fact to what extent the Russian election interference had, had an impact on the 
uh, on Donald Trump winning the election. But we have a, a lot of people in the US, especially of, of course on the Democrat side, have an emotional issue with the president, and probably many uh, Republicans have as well, and they default too quickly into uh, dismissing views that sound to them uh, like extreme disinformation as thinking it's sort of probably foreign influenced. Certainly back in 2016 and, and, and actually 17, that, that, that was a huge tendency. And of course, that is a risk in itself. I would go the, as far as saying that our perception of Russian interference is creating more of a problem than the Russian interference itself. Why? Because if you, if a democracy starts blaming domestic problems on foreign interference, then it is beginning to do what weakening, uh, or you know, what countries like Russia uh, and Turkey are doing. Blaming domestic ills on foreign interference is something that weakening democracies do. So we should resist that temptation. So one one question uh, that's a follow up, Thomas, for you is. Um, how did both the Soviet Union and the U.S. respond? You talked about actions that they that they took during the Cold War, including the AIDS campaign from the KGB, uh, some some CIA efforts. How did they also respond to disinformation campaigns coming from the other side? And what are lessons that you take for today? Yeah, that, that, that's a difficult question because the response changes over time and it's also different in the US versus the Soviet Union over time. But in the 60s, I think the Soviet response was escalation. I think we can see a dynamic of US political warfare provoking more uh, Soviet disinformation active measures operations. Um, but that's only a dynamic that lasts for a short amount of time in the 60s. And what you see later um, is in the 80s, for example, in the early 80s, the U.S. Uh, government, CIA especially, but also the State Department, and to a degree FBI as well, start pushing, uh, publishing information and through Congress, often through the congressional record and hearings, that exposes ongoing uh, Soviet active measures in great detail. Some of this material is extraordinary research uh, material. And um, that, that, I think, made a difference. It educated the public. It made a lot of journalists you know, journalists expected to be tricked in the 1980s and already before then. Sometimes they were successfully tricked and oftentimes they turned the disinformation story into the story itself. So I think uh, exposure of operations, but in a cautious, sober, fact-driven way is, is, is a time-tested response. So, Thomas, what's the challenge? Are, 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 are you confident that you're seeing that in the U.S., for example? I am actually quite confident. Yeah, no, I'm. I'm. Uh, I see some positive trends and a few problematic trends. The positive trends, of course, are that a lot of people are expecting this information today. So I think just it's still possible to leak information and have it covered in a big ticket way. But the, but it's a little harder than it used to be. 2016, you know, the Russian tradecraft that we saw in 2016, and I was watching it in real time, was very bad. It was, they made so many mistakes. So, and still were relatively successful in the leaking, on the leaking side. Um, that is different today. You know, obviously WikiLeaks is no longer a, an outlet that they can easily exploit um, as easily as it was in 2016. Um, and, um, 
and a lot of people are are expecting it today. But their operational security, I think, has alluded to that, is getting better. But look at it from the point of view of GRU or SVR. They are up against towering expectations and against social media companies that are, you know, much better prepared against uh, public and press and a press corps in the United States that is much better prepared. So in a way, the U.S. is, despite of its extraordinary polarization, uh, probably a harder target than it was in 2016. Thanks. Uh, interesting as we move into uh, presidential election season. So you get the last question, Heather. Um, and there, the the big the big part of the question from one of the viewers is is how can democracies stick to democratic values of free and open flow of ideas while at the same time dealing with disinformation from authoritarian countries. And as an anecdote, I'm going to pick up another question. Um, so that, that's sort of the big question on, on democracies and democratic values. Uh, but the anecdote is, is China has supported COVID-19 uh, with positive reinforcements by sending medical supplies to Europe, somebody points out. Uh, so you know, how can the U.S. and its allies prevent subversive influence from these positive reinforcements? So. I mean, the question really gets to what democratic should and should not be doing. No, it's a great question. And in some ways, it's it's going back to basics. Um, it's going back to that the, the essentials of transparencies of democratic governments and institutions and rebuilding trust between citizens. And that has been waning. Both of those have been waning for a, a great deal of time. We now have to have the urgency of rebuilding those because foreign actors, state and non-state, are now using them. Uh, trust me, it's much cheaper uh, to disassemble a democracy than fight a, a, a conventional conflict. And this is a cheaper variation of that. So we have to go back to those basics. And as Thomas Jefferson said, you need an informed citizenry. Uh, citizens need to be informed and they need to take personal responsibility for their own security, their information security, their cyber security. This is how we protect our democracy, how we protect national security. Everyone has a part to play. Everyone has to see their role to play in not sharing disinformation uh, to, to make sure that they have trusted factual information to make informed decisions, whether it's their elected leaders or their laws. So that back to basics moment could not be in civic education. It could not be more apparent, but it seems that we're struggling with getting back to that simplicity. On China, um, you know, in some ways, the provision of humanitarian assistance during a crisis of this magnitude should be warmly accepted. Uh, China was certainly sending this, uh, particularly to the European countries that were the most devastated, Spain, Italy, France, elsewhere. They had two issues. The, the, um, the supplies themselves were faulty. Some of the tests and the masks and things were just not up to standards, so they were not uh, able to be used. And when governments were criticizing the quality of that medical assistance, this is when uh, Chinese diplomacy became incredibly aggressive. Any criticism of the Communist Party and, and of the leadership and their gifts 
um, was really dealt with, which created its own backlash. So in some ways, the positive, what we would call soft diplomacy of sending medical uh, assistance, humanitarian aid has ended up backfiring. I think it's created uh, obviously a concern, very strong concern and heightened awareness uh, that uh, even the provision of, of, of humanitarian supplies uh, came with some strings attached, meaning you could not criticize the Chinese government. So uh, it's not been well received uh, necessarily, but for those that were in need and, and some of the equipment was was important uh, at that moment. So stay tuned. This is going to be a much more dynamic era with Chinese diplomacy, both in Europe, of course. Uh, but the fact that the U.S. isn't working more closely with its allies in trying to prevent that is, is unfortunately creating uh, opportunities for Chinese disinformation to actually be more successful than it should be. Well, you're listening to C-SPAN and a conference calls. What we're fighting is a culture war. That's one. Thanks to Steve Bannon and the Mercers and those assholes with that Brexit mess over in Britain. That's why we have that idiot Prime Minister Boris Johnson. That's why we had that crazy son of a bitch down in Brazil. See, people don't understand. We're being played. That's why I say, who knows where this virus come from, okay? But I tell you one thing. It's no accident. That's what's going on in this world. So, um, we're going to uh, finish up listening to some of these guys. And, uh, I wanted to let you finish listening because <clears throat> this is some information that we need. We're not fighting a, a, a conventional war anymore. It's informational warfare. And back in the days, the CIA used to call it political warfare. So the Republican Nazi Party is fighting a political war against us, the liberals, the blacks, the minorities. So that's why they're protecting Flynn. That's why they have their propaganda machines running 24 hours a day with misinformation. That's why they want the country to focus on opening up instead of focusing on this, vi- this virus. Because they know this virus is going to kill a lot of um, poor people around the world. It was designed to do exactly what it's doing. But this political warfare between China and the United States and fascism around the world with the Russians... Instead of them going to war with each other, they're going to fight a political war. And misinformation on Facebook and misinformation on Twitter. And the president is a freaking troll, a house full of misinformation and stupidity. And I won't even use the metaphor house, but an asshole full of that shit. Put it like that. And so this is what's happening to our country. And let's finish up, see what this guy's saying community in the U.S. is the right one. The incentive is understand, you know, in a sober, fact-driven analysis, understand what would happen, what happened in how this virus, how this pandemic started, how China is using its leverage in Europe to put uh, other governments under pressure, etc. Do intelligence reporting, you know, thorough, fact-driven uh, reporting and assessment and analysis. Of course, the incentive structure in the White House appears to be slightly different, not so focused on sober, fact-based assessments. The risk here is that at some point over time, and we're seeing some signs that this is on happening, that the, that the IC, the intelligence community, will become more politicized and put under pressure to 
you know, take the gloves off, as I said. That would be a highly problematic trend line because in a, in a very ideological environment,